And now for our feature presentation. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Botching It Up podcast. Every bruise, bump, and botch. Wrestling, you've been put on notice. Oh, let's get ready to ramble! What's up? This is the Botching Up podcast number 15, and our featured topic this week is the championship scramble match. It's long and forgotten. Was it any good to begin with? We're also going to talk a little bit about the great Carly, because why not? I'm Benito. This is my good friend, Basil. Butler. Let's get into it. Like, share, and subscribe to keep it botched up, brother. There's one thing I want to get off my chest this week, and that is fuck Vince McMahon. Well, I, I knew that you were going to be talking about WWE this week. <laughs> I think we can both agree that WWE as an entity has been slowly rotting for years in a creative sense, in terms of effort, in terms of morals, in terms of morale. I think that they've completely lost sense of what people want, why, and what to do in terms of uh, company standards. And I know you're going to go on to coronavirus and their handling of it, but I would like to say that I think all of wrestling has been affected by a lack of crowd and fan base, but no crowds have stripped primary WWE programming down to their very hollow, rotten cause. And people are finally realizing that there is nothing actually in WWE programming. And Raw this week drew the third lowest rating in history, and for a very good reason you're not even watching anymore and people say to me well tv ratings don't mean anything anymore because people stream it on the internet but if people are streaming it on the internet it it makes sense that less people are watching on tv less people are streaming on the internet and i think coronavirus has exposed wwe for the rotten business that it is both creatively and in terms of morality a lot of the performers have actually said this themselves that wwe style is catered towards gaining a reaction it's it's very much designed for the tv audience so in case in fact it's all locks and holds and slowly building to a finish rather than the excitement constant movement that AEW has and for no crowds i think that just leads to boring television i would argue that it's been the exact same television for a very long time and there's a, a a comment that you're making and that the internet is making is that well wwe cater specifically towards that live reaction not having that live reaction shows that that is actually all they have if you if you look at storylines if you look at match sets if you look at the way that people are interacting and wrestlers are interacting with the camera if you look at their biggest storyline right now is jeff hardy's a drunk Mm. there's nothing there and they've been completely exposed in the worst way possible this coronavirus. I guess you really have to lean on story and if your creative's not strong enough to begin with it's going to be exposed because there's a lot they could do propping their matches up on storylines instead of trying to fight through a no reaction match. Well you think you'd think if they're risking these people's lives they would at least attempt to create a decent show. But they don't think they are risking lives they just don't care they don't see it that way. So how are you feeling about the recent news of uh, coronavirus testing and its fallout with, within WWE? So, I mean, the last time I read the news, there was 20 plus people in WWE that have contracted corona through 
directly because they're involved with the company. But I think that number's actually a lot higher now. And I, it's it's just crazy because as if you like him or hate him, Roman Reigns was, he obviously saw that the company were going to handle the situation very badly. He's been right all this time. He he didn't want to compete. He didn't want to be involved. He didn't even want to turn up backstage at shows. And he was right to stay away. And there's other people on the roster now, like Daniel Bryan, who have a weak immune system. And there's several wrestlers whose wives are pregnant and they're all at risk. It's just crazy that Vince McMahon and anyone else in a management role at that company is doing as little as they possibly can. I don't know if it's because they don't care, but it's because they're probably too centered on their profit margin rather than their staff's well-being. Well, yeah, I, I got to admit that it's always the profit margin and that's the sensible exclamation. And all of the paranoid criticisms of a crazy Vince McMahon that's thrown all over the internet are, are dispelled as hearsay. And people say that Vince McMahon is actually just a businessman. That is why he makes sometimes ill-adjusted decisions. But I, I think there is a level of t- truth uh, in in this sense as to Vince McMahon's erratic behavior and his dealing with coronavirus because he's his entire life being that boss who I've always respected as a boss through my personal history and I tried to become that boss at one point. But the boss that does everything and then says, well, if I can do it, you can do it. And I think that's Vince McMahon's very basic fundamental idea of how to be a boss. And he's come up against something that he can't actually fight. And he doesn't understand that he can fight it. It's not a court case. It's it's not bad press. Um, it's not falling ratings. It's a, a virus. And he's approaching it and expects everybody else to do the same in a way that can't possibly come to any good. But this isn't just like any other illness where one person has to fight through it. I mean, this is an entire world dealing with this. Do you think it's just him being stubborn or do you think maybe an age is a factor where he just doesn't understand exactly what's going on in the world? Like he's just in his own little bubble? I don't think Vince McMahon is senile enough to not realise that a pandemic and a virus that has taken over America and is killing thousands and thousands of people isn't a problem. But the way they were testing before and the amount of people that have contracted, it's, it's gross negligence now. I mean, this could be disastrous financially for the company. If staff members wanted to sue and if the general greater press wanted to get involved in this case, this could be disastrous for the company, both financially and in their public image. It only takes one. It only takes one person to uh, start a sue against WWE for giving them coronavirus. Apparently, according to various sources, and I use sources liberally, WWE made the family members of wrestlers and the few fans that they allowed into the building signed a contract clause saying that they were not responsible for anybody protracting the virus. If that's true, surely that's some sort of um, breaking of law anyway. Like It's impossible for a company to have somebody sign, if you are exposed to a virus in our unsafe environment, then you're not going to sue us. But I mean, looking at Renee Young, Renee Young, the fallout of that, She's uh, got coronavirus from Vince McMahon and WWE's lack of testing. And John Moxley has gained exposure from it by being with Renee Young. And the AEW World, World Championship match at Fighter Fest is on the rocks. 
So what's stopping Renee Young, who's guaranteed a job in AEW, turning around saying, as you said, this is gross negligence. I'm suing WWE for exposing me to conditions and for saying to the press and for saying to everybody else that they were testing when they weren't actually doing blood tests. They weren't doing any testing. I mean, that was an outright lie. I mean, Triple H came out and said, we're doing everything we can possibly do. Which and it seemed like temperature they were, checks. Yeah, which is like the least you could do. Yeah. And they were asking people if you feel okay. Yeah, Renee is, is pissed. She, I think she wants out of that company as fast as possible. Like you said, she's almost guaranteed a job in AEW. It makes me wonder, though, because uh, I read when this whole first thing came about and they were talking about coronavirus, that WWE were changing mats every match. They were cleaning everything down in between matches, in between segments. And I thought to myself that that taping must last all day. Now I know that all of the tests that they could possibly achieve were actually temperature checks. Is that true? Have they been changing the mats? Have they been cleaning stuff down? Like It's, it's kind of like the the boy that cried wolf at this point because if they say that they've done it it doesn't necessarily mean that they have but even if they're doing that it's the same stupidity that a lot of people have that they're treating this like it's a bacteria it doesn't matter if you wipe down the mats if the if you stood next to a person that has the virus for four hours you're gonna contract it no matter if the place around you is sanitary yeah so if you're cleaning stuff down, it's making your taping last 10 hours longer than it would have done. That's actually worse because you now you've got people in a, cr- in a crowded space for longer than necessary. That's a great point. And the point that you make here is that whether they're doing that or not doesn't actually make any difference. So it does feel like a pointless lie, doesn't it? It doesn't feel like they're actually doing that because somebody within WWE must have said the exact same thing that you've just said to me. So they've kind of released that story for the press to, to feel better because they're, they're cleaning everywhere and doing everything. I highly doubt that they actually have. I don't want to slander the company. I'm not going to say anything either way. But I mean, from their, what I've learned this, these past two weeks and from their behavior over the past 20 years, I do doubt some of their statements to be true. I really think there's going to come a point where wrestlers no longer see become, going to WWE as an achievement and they don't aim for that anymore. And I think we're starting to see the, the downfall in not only fans not wanting to watch, but actual people in the industry not wanting to be involved with them. At this point, I'm not really sure why you would. One of the few things that WWE had before this coronavirus was the essence people believed that it was stable and corporate. They thought that, well, you might not get the storylines you might you want and you might be embarrassed and you might be jobbed out and you might not have any freedom whatsoever, but at least you have got company stability and at least you know that you're in such a corporate environment that everything is incredibly bureaucratic and by the book. What we've learned from coronavirus is if Vince needs to save money, he'll sack 20 plus people in the middle of a pandemic and he'll lie to the press and say, we're doing everything we possibly can when he's actually doing temperature checks. So the two windows in which I can see an already, maybe not a trainee, but a wrestler that's already known, already has money attributed to his name. The two things that you would go to WWE for, which is stability and bureaucracy, have both shown to be gone out of the window. They don't exist. I mean, look at Sami Zayn. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he decides never to come back. He's been treated like shit. 
Well, I think there's a good there's a good chance right now that he was planning on coming back and then saw the latest news about coronavirus and WWE and decided, you know what? I'm done with that place. Yeah. And, like, he hasn't exactly been treated well. Yeah, and someone like Roman Reigns has the pool power to say, no, I'm staying at home because I don't feel safe. But obviously, Sami, Vain, Sami Zayn doesn't have that same pool. And someone like Apollo Crews and... Um, Austin Theory has to turn up and come to work if he wants to keep his spot in the company. Well, it, this is the thing, man. Vince McMahon came out and said a month or two ago, anybody that wants to leave because they don't feel safe because of coronavirus will be welcomed back in and it'll be completely fine. Great, right. We've all been in that situation where we feel pressured to do something, but of course it's of our choice. Austin Theory can go take a couple of months off. He'll come back get job to the stars and then fired in an unrelated incident a year a year from exactly. now exactly it feels like that's the case right now i did notice on raw this week that randy orton wasn't present considering that he's the major pretty much the major angle going into the paper wasn't aj and daniel bryan not present like either this week or last week something like that as well yeah, they weren't on SmackDown as far as I can remember. I mean, I'm sure as soon as it came out that the corona was everywhere in the performance center, I'm sure most of them didn't want to be there. Well, they're not missing anything because I watched both Raw and SmackDown this week and they were, the, I think, the hardest chores of WWE television since post-Money in the Bank and then before that since I can remember. Uh, I, I mean, I can't... I, I, the reason that we don't talk about Raw anymore, and I, I think this is a... Um, a major issue with the the creative rot that we started this program off talking about. We don't watch it anymore. If people in 2010 said so hated on it, and they would spend entire podcasts and internet forums talking about how bad it's become because they still wanted it to be good. Mm-hmm. There was criticisms everywhere because they wanted WWE to change and they wanted it to be better. Yep. You go on the forums now, you go on YouTube now, this podcast even, we don't really talk about it anymore. We don't really talk Raw or SmackDown because it's been the same old shit that's been fed to us for years now. And I think we've sort of gone to that point in a relationship where uh, you're no longer speaking, but you're no longer arguing. You're just sort of placidly there with the other person. That's where we are with WWE, and I think that's where the world is with WWE. It's too much effort for us now to bother to criticize them because nothing is going to change, and we no longer care. Yeah, it's just a lack of interest as well. Yeah, well, we don't because we know they don't change, and we 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 don't care about it, and we'd rather go do something else at that time. There's no passion anymore, even to hate them. They just didn't. <laughs> they just didn't, didn't yeah. Even from a business standpoint, I think a lack of interest is more dangerous than people actively hating your product. Like you said, nobody's talking about it. I mean, even bad press is still press, right? Yeah, and you're already seeing that in the ratings. On Raw this Monday, well, from the 29th of June, perennial loser Andrade with Gaza, who walked off, was sacrificed the altar of the 48-year-old half-mobile big show. And I was going to get angry about it. And then I realized I didn't care. And right. So why is Andrade being buried now? Because every time I see clips of him, either on YouTube or you speaking, it always seems to be in a negative light. Was he just a Heyman guy and he's been dropped? I haven't seen him win a match uh, for months. He ha- entered a TV feud with Drew McIntyre and lost it soundly about three times. He lost the US championship match. 
He lost in tag teams. And they play off the angle at the moment that uh, Andrade and Gaza are not getting along, which is why they keep losing matches. But they lose when they do get along. It doesn't really feel like a lot of the time Andrade is distracted enough to lose that soundly. But are they going to use Andrade to slingshot Gaza or both of them just going to become irrelevant at the same time? So I think they're slingshotting Gaza and I hate to say it, but I feel like it's a racial stereotype thing. I feel I feel like they've been looking for that Mexican superstar since... To replace Ray. Yeah, to replace Rey Mysterio since Alberto Del Rio. Yeah. Like, they've been searching for this guy for 10 years. They did the Sin Cara thing. Then Callisto came in. The Lucha House Party guys were at one point scheduled for a massive push. Didn't work but don't out. you think Andrade looks better in ring than Gaza? Um, so, uh, well, what I think is, I like both of them. Uh, I think that Andrade was supposed to be the next guy. He obviously hasn't impressed enough. And then the sh- Gaza speaks better English, though, right? Yeah, and the shiny new guy, Ga- that's what I'm about to say, the shiny new Gaza comes along. He's no worse in the ring than Andrade. He's got way more charisma, and he can he can cut a two-minute promo. So Andrade's been yeah. thrown by the wayside and sort of given up for Gaza, who's now the new big Mexican star. But why can't you have both succeeding at the same time? On two different routes, if you like. Well, this is why I said I don't, want to, I don't want to go into the racial stereotype, but I do think that they think of it in that way, you know? They think of it as if to say, oh, we can't have too many Mexican guys. I genuinely believe that based upon the way that they push Mexican guys and the way that they throw one away when they get another one. Like before Gaza, the next guy that was going to be face Andrade was Humberto Carrillo. Yeah. Guy's a loser now, like tagged to Alistair Black. It took about three months. I remember when he had his three-week push. Yeah. I, I mean, well. when was the last time you remember really having multiple Mexican wrestlers in the main event? You had uh, Ray and Eddie. Ray and Eddie at the same time. But then Eddie felt like more of a homegrown star than a Mexican star. Yeah. I, I mean, I really don't want to believe what I'm saying, but it, uh, watching WWE for so long, it feels like they want to face Mexican and a hill Mexican. And that's it. And that's what they're after. And what's with WWE always ripping their masks off? I mean, masks is a staple in wrestling for almost every country in the world. I, I don't understand why they're... They always rip the guy's mask off. I don't know why they do that either, considering that the whole point of what they're trying to achieve is the next Rey Mysterio. Who has sold more merchandise than like anyone in the company, other than maybe Cena. Yeah, and a large part of what makes Mysterio Mysterio is his aesthetic. It's the mask that the kids want to buy. It's the mask that gives him the sort of attraction of appearance. Yeah, kids love him because of the mask. And then all, you know, all his WrestleMania matches, he has cool gear. And a part of that is a different mask every time. I wish the best for Santos Escobar, though, because I know that you haven't gone into him. But uh, these past couple of weeks, he's taken the ball and really run with it. Like he, he has some brutal maneuvers. He looks good. He's talking well. He, he's like a really devilish hill. And I think he's doing some great work. So hopefully they don't throw the rug from under him as well. But I guarantee that they will once he's away from Triple H's hug. Now, you know what? I don't dislike him. Um, I thought the match he had with um, Spud, uh, Drake Maverick, was really good. I, I just I didn't like the mask thing. Yeah, I just, when he took his mask off, I mean, it wasn't even ripped from him. He took it off himself. And I, I just sat back because, like, oh, this is classic WWE. I mean, how else are they going to fuck up his character? 
I'm saying that they racially stereotype Mexican people more than any other fucking race in WWE. And they've given him the name Santos Escobar. <laughs> what, a what, are, what are Mexicans represent? Oh, let's just give him the name of a, a famous drug lord. Like, it's a come quite, on. I mean, it, to their defense, it is a really common name. But, um, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Well, why is there not a wrestler called Tony Soprano then? Soprano is not a popular, uh, a common name. <sighs> but no, I know what you're saying. I get it. It's, it's a very loaded name. Is there anything else that you want to talk about with Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Coronavirus and WWE, Vince McMahon, Ric Flair turning up again? Nah, I talk about Corona every day of my life. That's enough of that for now. Okay, good. <laughs> Let's get on. I don't think Ric Flair is being held there against his own will, though. He's he's seeing Vince McMahon turning up for tapings, oh. and he's saying, well, God damn it, I'm turning up for tapings, but somebody needs to say no to him. They're going to kill that man. He might be a fucking casualty. This might change the face of WWE. It might not be anybody suing anybody or people losing interest. It might be them actually killing Ric Flair in real life because you didn't even watch Raw this week. He turned up for one segment backstage for no reason to talk to uh, Selena. What confused me the most, man, was he turned up and stood on the stage. So they could have just filmed that shit somewhere easily. else, somewhere safe for so him. So easily. He he turned up on the stage. He didn't come down to the ring. He didn't go anywhere near around the ring area. He just stood on the stage, delivered a very short promo that he could have done from his hotel room, and then walked out again. I mean, first of all, that's pointless. Second of all, maybe your opinion on Vince McMahon being senile is right. Because it it felt really weird that he refused to come anywhere near the ring and just stood on the stage for three minutes. Maybe they think by him standing on the stage, he's safer. And they don't understand that it has nothing to do with your positioning. Yeah, social distancing. You know, stay two meters away from the ring and you'll be safe. Yeah. What bullshit, man. I mean, if that company causes a death, whether it's Ric Flair or anyone else, that that's a nail in a coffin. That They're going to be fucked. I used to be able to enjoy WWE for the good things that they do, and they still do good things. Matt Riddle's uh, introduction and his win over AJ Styles was great. I mean, this week was the complete opposite, but they do occasionally have great stuff, but I don't think I can overlook it anymore. Yeah, but I mean, when the bad stuff is just cheesy storylines or them treating a certain worker really stupidly... That's fine. You can overlook that and just concentrate on the good stuff. But when it's gross negligence and you're putting people at risk, it's a whole different level. This might be the final nail in the coffin. <sighs> anyway, let's let's move on to something happy. Good stuff. Uh, AEW. Yep. I love AEW was fun. Love FTR, man. They're, they're good, aren't they? They're my favorite tag team now. Even the way that they put a guy in a headlock and then just move around, like they move the head. Yep. Like a headlock supposed to be administered. Do you think that they are going to be the spotlight within the industry that there's things you're not allowed to do in WWE, but if you escape, you can be like them and have freedom? I think they're changing the guard, and I think that wrestling talent is definitely looking at them as the way that they can move their careers upwards instead of sideways. And I'm not talking about big money players, because there's obvious, obviously people like Randy Orton, Roman Reigns, don't really care what they're given anymore, because they make so much money and they're the face of the company. Randy Orton and Roman Reigns can be put into a terrible gimmick, like Reigns with Rowan. 
I don't think Roman really really minds. Like they're different players, they're different types of guys. They're they're more like Hogan guys. But- oh yeah, I think it's definitely going to come down to money versus I don't know uh, happiness or like w- willingness to be better. I think there's a lot of mid card guys out there that are looking at FTR and seeing what they could have, and some of them will get picked up without doubt, and some of them won't. But I'm talking guys like Sami Zayn, guys that could have been somebody like Kevin Owens, but didn't quite get there. Yeah, They're for sure looking at FTR. But then we say this, but I, it kind of feels like the death knell, the very short-lived, uh, wonderful career of FTR in AEW. Because after their match with SCU, which was a fantastic match, probably my match of the week, I didn't like the rest of it. Are you not are you not looking forward to the eight man tag that they set up? Absolutely not. I don't want FTR touching Lucha Brothers. Man, I I couldn't be more excited for that match. That's a dream match for me. That's four fantastic how, tag teams. How can FTR work with Lucha Brothers successfully? I mean, I'm still kind of confused whether FTR are heel or face right now. They- They're heel, but that's the problem with AEW TV and everything. Yeah, I like, guess so. you have no idea who who's heel or face. That's like their main issue. Yeah, no, I I get that. They're very loose with that. I don't know. I'm looking forward to that match. It's it's four great tag teams that I love. So I don't know. I I just think that Lucha Brothers and FTR don't work. They're the polar opposites. That and you can build a storyline out of the fact that they don't like each other, and FTR think they're ridiculously bad at wrestling. But then they actually have to, I mean, the whole point of a storyline in wrestling is to have an actual wrestling match. I don't see how those two could ever get along or have a good match that's not really awkward and clunky. Yeah. Like, I hate the Young Bucks, man, but I know that they'd have a super good match with FTR when it came to it. Whereas Lucha Brothers, I just genuinely don't believe that their styles will even click together. Yeah, because they're very fast and they never really slow down. I mean, there could be a story in the match where FDR forced them to slow down and they just want to spring up. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, the other thing that I loved on the Dynamite show, and I know this is really old news now because Fighter Fest has already happened, but I, I I thought I wanted to talk to you about it. Um, Taz, man. Did you see that promo from Taz about Brian Cage facing John Moxley? No, tell me. I, I've forgotten. Oh, he just went on another level. He He, he approached Paul Heyman levels. He looked right. And one thing I love about Taz, and I feel like it's something that needs to be more widespread in the industry, is looking straight in the camera. He always takes his glasses off, looks straight in the camera, and gets verbally violent. And I, I think he's currently one of the best managers in the business. And th- I mean, I really like MVP, but he throws MVP completely by the wayside at the moment. Yeah, I think Taz is going to hit new heights. As he should do. It's been too long since he came back, I think. Yeah, but he's—I mean—he's always been a great commentator. But I feel like he's hitting a stride now, which I think he's going to be remembered for forever. Yeah, well, it, I guess it kind of depends though on Brian Cage. Brian Cage might feel be a flop. Yeah, but even if Brian Cage is a flop, Taz just moves on to someone else. I, I mean, hope so. Most legendary managers don't just have one person they manage. There's one other thing that I need to get off my chest, Ben. And okay. I, I, this has been a long getting off our chest. <laughs> um, Orange Cassidy, man. I loved that go-home segment. I, I hated it. it. No, because it brought Orange Cassidy out of a comedic role. And it made him... It set up a serious match. Right. So you please tell me, what is Orange Cassidy's gimmick when he gets angry? 
I, I feel like the gimmick has become Orange Cassidy is a gimmick. And then when you push him too far, he's just a normal guy. Cody Rhodes in a press conference earlier in this edition of Dynamite yeah. said uh, verbatim, I enjoy the idea of wrestling being a sport and he wants to bring the sport element back to the product. He said, I don't like meta wrestling, play wrestling or cosplay wrestling. When Orange Cassidy gets angry and the gimmick goes away, is he not all three of those? He now becomes cosplay, yeah. No, I get what you're saying. It, it com- I, I don't like the Orange Cassidy gimmick and this is one of the main reasons why I haven't liked the Orange Cassidy gimmick for since it started it's not necessarily because he annoys me it's because he's a one-trick pony his little super kicks might get a pop and uh his stupid jokes might get a pop but that's it he's he's a character he's like hornswoggle when you take him out of his element and you you make him angry and you get some fire going in with him you realize that everything that he's doing within this world of wrestling is bullshit so you 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 either have to get behind Orange Cassidy the person and completely negate Orange Cassidy what made him popular, or you have to somehow take both, and both doesn't work because you can't sell one and then sell the other. I know you're not a fan of it, and neither am I to a degree, but um, there's always been a place for comedy in wrestling. Not in the main event. But this match won't be. I know. It was, I know it was a main event uh, promo on the last show, but it won't be a main event match. Well, apparently this segment bombed, and NXT beat them in the ratings wars for the first time in ages. And I'm, I'm glad that it got trashed, and I'm glad that Orange Cassidy can't continually be relied on for good ratings. Now, I know that sounds harsh, but th- this segment, more than anything else, really did show me the the issue, the main primary issue with Orange Cassidy's character. And that is, once you try and actually do something with him, he becomes nothing. I agree with you. If you're going to have a comedy character, uh, there's a place for for comedy in wrestling. I'm not against that at all. Uh, But you're right. It's not in the main event spot. And if you take that comedy guy and you put him in the main event spot and you do it almost overnight, it feels weird. I mean, if Orange Cassidy had transitioned through months and months of um, character work, it would be fine just out of the blue like this you've now like you said you've lost the character that made him really popular with the fans and it feels uncomfortable seeing him in a serious light versus chris jericho you're right that's fine just keep him on the undercard yeah i mean i even like him being a comedy manager or a third wheel to a serious tag team i think that's an okay dynamic and it's worked for them well best friends i wouldn't really call a serious character but he was their little mascot they're not serious characters, but you they are... Serious workers when they have to be. You can legitimately see them as contenders. See, they're a, a better aspect of what comedy is. They're the sort of guys that can laugh, can joke, and be comedic characters. But when they get in the ring, they get serious. I've got no issue with that. It's just that Orange Cassidy is sold in such a completely different way from Best Friends that you can't possibly take him seriously when he gets angry. And if you do, he loses all essence of what he is. He becomes a stranger. Have you watched yet Pack versus Orange Cassidy? I still haven't got around to that one. It's a really fun watch. And in that case, Orange Cassidy becomes serious towards the end of the match. He suddenly wants to win the match rather than joke around. And I think that's a better way of playing the joking to the serious rather than 
in a segment kind of overnight his character's completely changed that being said orange cassidy is the only guy in the last year or two i think that somebody i know who has absolutely no interest in wrestling sent me a meme of so he has sort of been the only guy in the past couple of years that's transported himself into a small faction of internet subculture and made himself popular there i mean how long has it been since someone truly invented a new gimmick it's been a long time yeah he's done something no one has done in a very long time and whether you love it or hate it i mean it's a lot of people love it and i know it's not serious it is played for laughs but it's made him stand out of a huge crowd that is true and that's got him to the position with chris jericho but I can't buy Chris Jericho being a heel character when he's saying to Orange Cassidy, you're like that joke, the chicken that crossed the road. Third time you hear it, it's tired and bad. That didn't sound like a heel promo to me. <laughs> that, that sounded like fact. I, yeah, I, I imagine he's a guy Chris Jericho would like, though, because Chris Jericho has always used comedy in his career, too. I don't know. Wh- I don't know whether Cody saying that he doesn't like meta and cosplay wrestling was a rib. It, it felt like he was, it was like an internal joke. Because if he doesn't like meta wrestling and cosplay wrestling, he's in the wrong company. He's created the wrong company. I feel like he's just trying to create an image that's different from everyone on the roster. I feel like it's just him trying to get but himself. But he can't right. avoid the fact that everything around him is meta and cosplay. Like, he. he... Yeah, but I don't, I don't think that's actually true. I think he's just trying to portray an image that he is the rest. Well, in which sense he kind of feels like quite manipulative because he he goes into this saying that he's the true man's wrestler he ain't no play wrestler he ain't no cosplay wrestler and at the same time he's kind of putting his mates down he's like that two-sided two two-sided friend who uh to one group of guys will be like i'm cool no those guys are lame and then he'll go over to the guys and he'll be like hey guys i love you guys yeah that's kind of feels like what he's doing. Yeah, that's very true. That's a funny way of putting it. Have you listened to the lyrics of his theme song? Not closely. I don't. I mean, I don't have them on me, so I can't really quote it. But there's lyrics in there that are just so obvious that he's uh, he's only doing everything that he's doing right now as a fuck you to his former employers. Right. Every, every, and the song makes it so obvious. Um, there were some lyrics that was like. Um, they can take my you name, but dreams, not my name. Yeah, yeah. They can't. They took my name, but they can't hold me down now. So obvious that his his entire career now is is a big fuck you to Vince and Triple H. It's a little bit obsessive, isn't it? Like you, you can forgive the occasional breaking of a throne by a sledgehammer. I don't think you can forgive that. That is <laughs> on the nose. It's so obvious what that is. But I didn't realize he attributed his entire theme song around it. That is a little bit sad, really. Mate, the entire theme tune is fuck WWE. I think I'd have a little cackle at that if I was Vince McMahon. Like a troubled teenage son trying not to be like his father. Yeah. When you really listen to the lyrics, it's it's painfully obvious that he's still bitter yeah anyway anyway so you sent me down a rabbit hole to go check out great carly from 2007 oh, you want to talk great carly thank you for that thank no you worries. for this side quest you sent me on like <laughs> uh, great carly actually put in a good effort in 2007 well i, I thoroughly you, disagree well i'll tell you what i watched these matches in 2007 and i sat down to watch them this week and i don't know what 
my 14-year-old self really saw here. What the fuck you were thinking? <laughs> what you were smoking? I, th- <laughs> I think I was definitely remembering the one-night stand Fool's Count Anywhere match. And mm. I think I did enjoy... I enjoy. You know what? I enjoyed re-watching these. But uh, for n- no extent or purpose do I remember them... T- are they actually as I remember them? Right, let me give you a breakdown. Let me tell you why these matches aren't good. Well, can we so, just can we just admire the fact just before we start that apparently the great Carly has an eighteen four E boot. Something I learned this week. Do you think that's true? Or do you think that's just a like nobody's allowed to be under six foot? Well, it is the great Carly though. Yeah, but Oh no, it's not under six foot, is it? No one's allowed to be under two hundred and five pounds. Even if the guy is obviously 170, they've probably marketed the big show as having like an 18 2 E foot. So maybe they did add a couple of E's. Austin Aries was billed as 205 pounds because no one is allowed to be lighter, even though he only weighed 173. And it was obvious he was tiny. So I'm just saying, you know, they, they screw with the figures. So whatever they say Big Carly is, maybe he might be one size a bit smaller. Yeah, maybe, maybe they just wanted him to be two E's bigger than Big Show. So you sent me to go watch uh, Judgment Day in May 2007. This was The Great Carly versus John Cena. On the Raw before this show, The Great Carly had stole Cena's belt and is the unofficial champion. He also took out Edge, Shawn Michaels, and Randy Orton backstage to build this up. Yeah, all of the contenders, yeah. So in both the events we're going to talk about, this is my problem with the matches. It's the main event against Cena. And obviously, this is during Cena's mental rise. He's on top. So that's fine. Of course, he's in the main event. The Great Carly can't seem to work any longer than 10 minutes. And he really tried in these matches to put on a good show. But you can tell his stamina's not there. On both shows, the co-main event was Edge versus Batista, both of which were fantastic matches. (laughs) What the fuck were they thinking putting Carly on after Edge versus Batista? There's no way he can compete with those two. Well, I would argue that you're looking at this as a smart fan. Oh, yeah, no, I know what you're going to say, and I've got the same note. I'm looking at this from a perspective of in the future. What would have what would have an audience in 2007 had thought of this? No, 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 I wasn't even going to say that. I think you're just looking at this from the perspective of a smart fan who wants to see two guys wrestle and wrestle well and have a story told to him without it being thrown in your face. Whereas John Cena, the great Carly, was a really bad attempt to replicate, basically, Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. And it was about the story and the spectacle of the match as opposed to the match itself. So I would argue against you that I believe that these were the main events because, again, your idea of the great Carly has been tampered with over time. But coming into this... He he was unbeatable. He had never been pinned. He had never been submitted. And I think in his like first match, he beat The Undertaker. So it's kind of like a giant Gonzalez problem where you've got this absolute tool who can't speak or work, but he's massive. So you can sell him as like a demonic monster instead of trying to build somebody up as a monster. He literally looks like one. So he, Yeah, I get that. In 2007, he's a fresh character. Um, something new and he does look great he's unbelievably huge definitely in this um judgment day pay-per-view the quality of the match edge versus batista against the quality of cena versus carly is worlds apart 
Oh, definitely. And I think this says a lot for how far we've come in terms of wrestling 13 years later. Whether they were as popular as they are now or not, I, I believe that Randy Orton, sorry, Edge Batista would definitely be main event. And it was, I was absolutely amazed in the one night stand match when Justin Roberts announced the match. The crowd went crazy mm. for John Cena versus Great Carly. They were so excited for it. <laughs> and now, like in any promotion, it doesn't matter whether the crowd hates the product and sit there like sadomasochists. In any product, I think, if you announce this match, the crowd would boo and shit all over it. Yes. I, I, I get it. Cena was on top, and we got a fresh character of Carly. I understand why the audience probably are into this. Then we get into the actual match, and we have, like, a David versus Goliath match. Again, like you said, they're trying to build Cena as Hogan to Andre, and then eventually Cena comes up top, looking even better, super strong, super Cena. But... The match was so short because Carly can't go so far. I feel like the threat that Carly was about to beat Cena was never there. And Cena never looked weak enough to have that comeback moment. Yeah, and I agree with you there. And I think that if he did have any threat in the Judgment Day match, it was quickly dispelled once we got to the rematch. Because at that point, I think they did it completely the wrong way. Uh, If you bear with me here a second, Judgment Day... Carly submitted to Cena, whereas they went into one night stand saying the Carly had still never been pinned. I would have completely reversed that because anybody can get a fluke pin. That we've been taught that through decades that you can get a pin despite not necessarily being the better or the stronger man. I would have had Cena pin Carly a little bit quicker, a little bit two and a half, a little bit Carly gets up, just so that you can then have this match that you're already planning on having. And that's when I'd have Cena give the submission to Kali, and that shows him fully being the David against Kali's Goliath, because that shows him overcoming with strength. Exactly. Yeah, completely. And then, um, if you look in the history books, they gave Great Kali the World Championship um, at the end of the year. So, I mean, I know we're talking about the great John Cena in his prime, but could Carly not have got the first win over Cena, and then Cena get two more wins later on? I think it would have made him. It would have made Cena look better. But I, I think at that point, Cena was so unstoppable that it was unthinkable that anybody would beat Cena. But that would have made Carly look better as well. I mean, someone finally beat John Cena. That would have put him. That would have made him. It would have given Cena a redemption story and and strengthened his character. Really, I think you almost could have built a WrestleMania match around that. Would you want to see it though? <laughs> God no. Um, and I mean, and then this is really the point that the whole story they tried to play just didn't work. Jr. says after Cena wins, Cena won there with a little help from his tag team partner, the Steel Steps. John Cena threw. Carly into the steel steps. I, I think it was only twice, or he threw him into it once and then he, he hit him with it again. And the point I'm just trying to make here is that Carly basically got jobbed out in his own monster match. Yeah. Well, I mean, he got jobbed out twice, really. Yeah. So One Night Stand is in June 2007. Again, we're in the main event. I already made that point that I don't like it in the main event after the co main was so good. But not only that, it was quite short. Again, Carly, I guess, doesn't have the stamina to be able to go. I thought that this match actually made more sense to be 
the timing that it was just because everything had already happened i think if you were if you had to make a longer match it should have been the judgment day match but i mean mm-hmm. if you're making longer matches than 10 minutes you're torturing john cena out there like <laughs> i I, th- I think they were just being nice to him by making it go 10 minutes because i don't know how you can drag carly through 10 minutes let alone 20 like i don't know how you'd be able to do it i mean I, the point i'm really trying to make is that i, I don't want to see carly go f- longer if anything i wanted to go shorter he looks better and stronger if he has shorter matches the point i'm trying to make is if you want a pay-per-view main event to be really good someone like edge and batista or even cena and batista in the main event going 20 minutes is a better main event than someone managing to get through nine just well i think they they realized this uh later on when he actually won the world heavyweight championship I remember that I think Unforgiven, maybe he squashed a melon in his hands. <laughs> That's the only thing I remember. And that he had a triple threat match with Batista and Mysterio, which was pretty decent because in that environment, obviously Carly looks better because he does, he's doing less. And Batista and Ray can pick up the work and the slack. Yeah, see, that's smart booking. Maybe if he hadn't taken out Edge, Shawn Michaels, and Randy Orton, you could have put one of these guys in one of the first matches or something, have either Cena or Carly win it, and then you could have built to a, a singles match later down the line. I feel like Shawn Michaels could have given him an absolutely amazing five-minute squash match. Yeah. And again, the only point I've really got to make is... It was a Fool's Count Anywhere match. And just like I always shit on WWE, they just don't play to the gimmick well enough. There was only one moment, and it was the finishing moment, that was anything close to what a Fool's Count Anywhere match should be. They walked around the crowd a little bit, bounced their heads off the, I don't even know what you call it, the wall that separates the TV crew from the crowd. And and then they did the the finish of the um, FU off the truck. Yeah, I thought the crane bit and Cena throwing a cam- a giant camera boom into Carly was a cool shot. I have to give my credit here to JR for trying his absolute hardest. Like in Judgment Day, he said, no one has lasted longer in the STFU, uh, which is really lame, but it's the best that he could possibly <laughs> come up with to try and save Carly. And then at the start of One Night Stand, he says, uh, hurricane season started two days ago. Can John Cena weather the storm? <laughs> oh my God, what a line. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, JR, JR halfway, I started laughing out loud. JR halfway through the One Night Stand match actually starts selling the flexibility <laughs> and athleticism of the great Carly. Mm. He's like, oh, this guy moves fast. This guy can work. You know? No. <laughs> Fast is definitely not a word I would use to describe him. Have you seen Great Carly now, today? Seen pictures of him? I remember seeing him a couple of years ago. Oh, no. Uh, like 2016 or something. No, right now. And he could barely get in the ring. No, right now, 2020, he is jacked. Is he? Yeah, he's gone on the same workout as Big Show did like a couple of years ago. He's he lo- He's actually got a six-pack. He looks fantastic. I do. I've always kind of felt that Great Carly would be one of those early deaths. Does seem a little bit that way inclined in terms of his giantism. Mm. Oh wow! I just checked out a picture of him. Yeah, he looks good. Second run, maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, so anyway, the t- you know Carly killed a man with his chop. Really? Yeah. What? In a in a training camp, it, uh, he actually chopped a guy so hard on the chest that his heart stopped beating. Jesus. 
That's why I was amazed that he still used used those chops throughout his entire career. Fuck me. Maybe he had to hold him yeah. back a little bit. Didn't go hundred percent anymore. I kind of got nostalgic watching Great Carly. I, I, he's one of those guys that was just around for a very long time, and then once you go back, you're like, oh, I kind of like that guy. I liked him in the in the Adam Sandler movie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> keep this wrestling. What are you on about? Come on. Um, I, yeah. Well, the task here was to find someone who is a poor wrestler that managed to put in a five star effort, and um, I don't know if he achieved it. To be honest, man. I think we have to keep searching. Yeah. I mean, well, we bef- to carry on our effort. Before we move on, just to torture myself that a little bit more, I also watched No Mercy in October of 2007. And this is the Punjabi prison match Batista versus the Great Kali. I didn't quite get around to this one. The, people have hated the, the uh, Punjabi prison match forever. I mean, there's only been three, right? Yeah. And, well, do you know the history of the first one just before we start? Yeah. So. I don't know why, but Great Carly wasn't in it, and it became Undertaker versus Big Show. In the Great Carly's match that they made for the Great Carly, in the, in the yeah. debut version of his own gimmick, why, why wasn't he in it? I'm pretty sure he had like worms. Oh, that's nasty. <laughs> he had like worms or like enzyme issues. Okay, but anyway, yeah. So um, I just, I just, my two cents. It inherently sucks because. To win, you have to run away from your opponent, which is not why we're watching wrestling. We want to see two people go at it, not run away from each other like chicken shits. It's one of those uh, gimmicks that looks really cool, but when it is actually utilized or attempted to be used, you realize that it is literally just the fact that it looks cool. There's n- no positives to it at, at all. Yeah, and I, th- I think the biggest problem is the people they were putting in the matches. It's always been really I was just about to say. Why isn't Rey Mysterio in one of these matches? I mean, think if AJ, if they did one now, how AJ would be in this match, jumping off it, climbing over it, trying to squeeze through the gaps. Well, I don't think anybody ever wanted to watch Big Show Taker. I don't think anybody ever wanted to watch Randy Orton Carly, and I don't think anybody wanted to watch Randy Orton, Jinder yeah, Mahal. Yeah. And why does Randy Orton keep getting thrown in these stupid matches? Anyway, I, I just thought I would um, add to the, the torture. And uh, I mean, Batista won, so I got that at least. I got a kick out of that. Also, he won by jumping from one cage to the other, which for a guy that size was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, Batista looked absolutely jacked in what we're about to go on to as well. Yeah. He looked good in 2007, 2008. So let's talk about these championship scrambles. Were they ever good or were they always been shit? Before we get into them, the reason I suggested we talk about these is because I swore blind there was more than just three. I swore there was more of these than just on one show. Uh, you, I don't know. I mean, looking at this gimmick in general, it is like a, just a pastiche of a lot of gimmicks. It's like a weird well, battle royal, Royal Rumble, triple threat. Yeah. I I mean, it's, it's fun and it's not fun. I mean, to shoot my load right out of the gate, um, I just want to say that I think the reason this match failed or there hasn't been any more since this one pay-per-view is that they did three on one show. If they had just done one, a good one at that, I think it could have become a yearly gimmick. Maybe not good enough to have its own pay-per-view like Money in the Bank or uh, Elimination Chamber, but just... 
you know, they could have had one every couple of years, brought it back when they wanted six contenders to go at it. Um, and it could have become it could have become something with a bit of a history. But I think they did too much, too quick, and it just didn't take. People hated it. Well, I've got several reasons as to why I think the scramble didn't work. Um, a lot of them are logical. But straight out of the gate, I completely agree with you. The first notes that I've got are on the ECW Championship scramble. And I think that it came down to the idea, as you say, of two things. It's oversaturation and first impressions. So in terms of first impressions, if this is a brand new idea that you want to sell, why have its very first iteration being the curtain jerker for a championship that nobody cares about? Because this one fucking sucked, right? Really sucked. I mean, how can you look forward to the other two when you've already seen it done by lower card guys done really badly? And I thought the other two were actually okay. Had the other two been the only one, I think this match would have survived. And that's the thing. Can you imagine any great idea selling by showing us three times in the first show before we've ever had an opportunity to watch it? Uh, Hell in a Cell, even Fight Pit recently. It already feels like a desperate attempt to sell the next themed idea instead of having a match that is actually sellable. And this was around the point, I think, where they really desperately tried to start looking for gimmick matches. The the year after, they had a pay-per-view with only submission matches called Breaking Point which everybody similarly shit on because there's a time and a place for a submission match. This goes into the, uh, I mean, I guess a a more general conversation about gimmick pay-per-views and like whether you think that they actually kill the gimmicks after a while. Well, it really feels like that's what they were trying to do with this unforgiven pay-per-view before they had TLC or Elimination Chamber. It feels like they thought that Unforgiven's gimmick if you like was going to be this match and it just didn't stick and to your point i don't like that we have to have two hell in the cells forced upon us every year just because it's october rather than the pinnacle of a really heated rivalry i mean i mean but from an objective perspective and i agree with you on not enjoying the tlc's and hell in the cells because it turns up that month but the, the idea behind them is to have feud, right? And it, you're supposed to work into it. And basically, it's WWE Creative's fault that that doesn't happen. They originally set those shows up so that it would culminate in feuds. Uh, but it just doesn't work anymore. That's another issue with the Scramble match. What's the storyline reason as to why it exists? The Royal Rumble, Elimination Chamber, Money in the Bank, they're all gimmicks for opportunists. And the TLC Hell in a Cell stuff gimmicks for feuds what is this for this just felt like there was too many contenders and not enough storylines so let's just all whack them all into one match that feels like a mini royal rumble so if you were to save this gimmick and try and use it again refresh it would you think that the scramble would be a far more popular idea if they were made for number one contenderships yeah i mean because it's a much like a gauntlet except for no one's eliminated until the time limit expires so yeah, you're right. It, it feels better fitted for contenders rather than a champion. But also because we are conditioned to think that a match is a match is decided after like a good 15 minutes to get the pin. That's what we're told. Like even to the extent where an Iron Man match sometimes feels a bit weird because two guys and two popular guys uh, get one of them gets a pin on the other after three or four minutes. We're told in this scramble that there is literally only 20 minutes and we're going to see guys like Brian Kendrick become the champion. I think it devalues 
championships, it devalues uh, pins and it devalues wins. I think the problem there was they completely worded the situation wrong because they always said that once someone gets the pin, they become the champion when someone or uh, interim champion or whatever. But if you have an Ironman match and someone gets the first fall, you wouldn't say they're the champion. You just would say they're currently winning the match. Yeah. I think the announcers saying, oh, they're currently the champion. If they last 50 more minutes, they'll be champion. I feel like that wording com- was completely ruined because now it's like, oh, fuck me. Brian K- um, Brian Kendrick is a champion. And, um, oh, Jeff Hardy's now the champion. It, like you said, it really confused how important the match was because everyone was just a champion for 30 seconds. It also doesn't help that they use literally the same sound effects as the Royal Rumble. That felt really cheap. I mean, it was like a mini Royal Rumble. The the one thing that they really should have sold was that the competitors come in every five minutes. Because that's what, I mean, that's why we like the Royal Rumble. Problem is the time limit. Because at 20 minutes, the match just ends. Now, the main event, which we'll talk about, played that off really well. But the opening match was just stupid because they were all just dogpiling on top of each other and they were all just panicking to try and get a pin. And it looked like kids fighting in a playground. It wasn't an exciting conclusion to a match. On top of this, and I completely agree with everything you're saying, but the worst way to open a new gimmick is to have it at the start of the show uh, with guys and championships that nobody cares about. You know what makes that better? Having Chavo Guerrero deemed the first champion. Chavo <laughs> Guerrero. You know who's selling that? Matt Stryker and Todd Grisham. All right, so let, let's just explain what happened in this uh, opening match. It was for the ECW Championship. And who was it that started the match? Uh, Chavo Guerrero Matt and Matt Hardy. Yeah, so both of them got a pinfall before anyone else got in the ring. And to your point that you already said, there's far too many pinfalls. And not only that, but there's far too many pin attempts. They're rolling each other up. They're getting sneaky pins. And you're devaluing what a pin actually is. And also, you're devaluing what a big move is because they would just do a clothesline pin, a suplex pin. There was no combination of moves and there was no big finisher than the pin, you know? Uh, Yeah, and everybody loves a good Royal Rumble, right? We all enjoy the big moments of Royal Rumbles, the final minutes, the opening minutes, and all of the little comedy spots in between. But there's every single Royal Rumble, no matter how good it is and how well-paced it is, there's always a dead spot where there's too many guys in the ring, nothing's really going on, they're pretending to push each other, and they're waiting for another big superstar to come out. Yeah. This feels this feels like what a scramble match is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a shame because I re- one thing I really liked about the match is the dynamic flow of that. It's a singles match. Two guys are one-on-one. And then suddenly it's a triple threat. So now we can have tag team moves. And now that arsenal of moves is a little bit different. And now suddenly it's a, it's a four-way match. So now we can have alliances and we could do tag team moves both the other ways. And we could do big spots, one guy diving out the ring onto three people. But they didn't play it like that at all. They didn't use that. It also felt really weird because um, I wouldn't say that I wanted this this uh, match to go long, but I, I did feel strange when the final guy came out and they put a five minute clock up because I that it's made that match type is made in such a way that you wait for all the competitors for then the action to start in in the same way that elimination chamber matches made. You're, you're basically waiting for people to come out. 
so that you can then get into the meat of it. And by having all of the guys in the ring finally, and then giving it five minutes left, it, it just does, it feels like it's completely undercooked in a way. The last five or even the last three minutes of this match is more exciting than the previous 15 minutes. That's what this match is made for, isn't it? It's made for the final five minutes, but that doesn't equate to a good match type because you're going to have 15 minutes in which people are stalling pretending to pin each other and doing a couple of moves you you can't sell something based upon five minutes of action and, and expect everybody to sit through the first 15 minutes to get there i mean let's move on to the the second one of the night it's for the wwe championship it it really goes i mean the other three competitors are used as jobbers and it's really triple h but it's really triple h and jeff hardy that are going to win and in the last two minutes both of them keep getting with the wins back and eventually triple h gets it and uh, Jeff Hardy is also on top of someone and thinks he gets it. And at the end of the match, the two share a look like you kind of got lucky, but also you, you retained the championship. And I felt that set up a championship match later down the road. I, I, I didn't look up the history. I don't know if it happened. So I actually enjoyed this match because of the story running through it. Whereas the ECW match, there was no story. So it was just a shambles. I do remember um, Triple H and Jeff Hardy having a couple of months feud. So it would probably be around this point. Jeff Hardy always came close to winning, but never won. But it was a good good couple of months feud from this, I think. It might have already been in the midst of it. I think that you disagree with me, but this was my favorite championship scramble. Just because, as you said, the storyline running through it actually gave it some sort of worth which is something that it was refreshing to see after that ECW thing. I, I can't stress enough that I really think that even if you just had the SmackDown on the Raw, it would have been less overkill than having the ECW as well. The ECW was absolutely pointless. And there was no reason for it to exist other than to nullify the effectivity of this gimmick. Um, but going into this match, excellent opening five minutes between Jeff Hardy and Shelton Benjamin. Both guys were at the top of the game. Uh, the, the moves were fresh and urgent. Everything looked smooth and believable. And that's how you start the gimmick off. That actually added interest as to watching this match because by this point, I was already getting tired of the pay-per-view. And, and they sparked me up a little bit, made me see, hey, maybe there is something in this match that could actually be utilized. What this match got right, what the ECW one got wrong, is there was less m meaningless pin attempts. There was actually more movesets. It actually, actually felt like different matches. Yeah, yeah, and and that's the beauty of what I think this match could have been is it could have always been evolving. You know what I did notice? You know how people change political views as they get older and they sort of become more right wing usually. Okay, that's that's literally me with wrestling now. When I was fourteen and Kendrick became champion and it was like a big shock. I remember thinking that I wanted him to win and it was cool and like Vince was finally listening to the people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I sat through this match just now and I was like, why is he getting so much offense? Like, what? why is he doing anything? And then Triple H came out and squashed him. I was like, thank fuck, finally. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, when Triple H came out, I really think Sean Benjamin, MVP, and Brian Kendrick, all of their momentums got snuffed out in this match. I mean, this match... I think Jeff Hardy was already the man. He was already a big deal going into this match in this time period. But he came out of this match looking fantastic, like a proper main event contender. The other three, I think their momentum was dead 
And I think that could be possibly a really bad aspect of this match that it could hurt four or three people and only make one person come out of it looking good. And that's a really difficult issue as well, because who are you going to put in this match if you can't hurt anyone? You're going to have to sort of, if you've got um, five guys in the match and they're all main event stars, four of them are going to have to look bad or at least three of them. Um, I mean, at least three of them have to eat a pin. Yeah. At least. And if, but maybe several times. And if you fill the other three or four up with choppers, the whole thing's meaningless. Exactly. The, the match has no prestige. And that's the point I was going to make about the last one, but I might as well blow my proverbial load now. Might as well go into the logic issues of what I believe in the Scrambles match to have. First of all, there's too many factors at play to make this gimmick work. In order to protect the champion, the champion needs to come out last, which loses the value of a championship match because they're fresh and therefore they haven't, the champion themselves hasn't worked for their championship, right? They come in in the last five minutes, they're fresh, everybody else is tired. And logically, the guy that comes out last, he's most likely to win. Yeah. In essence, this championship scramble match is terrible for baby faces. They don't look good. Because if baby faces don't win, they look bad. But if they do win, they look lucky. And in fact, like the whole match is 70% luck and 30% skill. So the whole thing is vulture regardless of being face or heel. And the scrambles are a lot duller as you can see with the ECW championship match, without opportunists. It's it's the Kendricks and later the Jerichos that add the excitement and profit for the match. Without them, it's a weird battle royal. So basically, you're getting into a catch-22 here of making the champions look bad because they look like they haven't worked for it. This match kind of really only profits heels for getting Triple H. Jericho, Kendrick, Mark Henry, before Matt Hardy won it, they were the guys out of... This, these matches that stood out, whereas the guys that were baby faces, like you had Batista, you had Batista in the last match, and I can't really remember what he did. There's too many factors for this match to work, and it has to be planned out minutely. And if you're a good guy, you don't look good either way coming out of this. I get what you're saying because, really, no matter what position you come out, you've always got an advantage. And if you come out last, I mean, people have been in there 15 minutes. And also, selling a match to a crowd, if you're buying a ticket to go watch a wrestling show and you want to see Triple H in a championship match, I want to see Triple H for longer than five minutes. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't work in any way, really. If you're paying to go see a guy, it doesn't matter who it is. It could be uh, Jeff Hardy or whatever. You're either seeing them only for five minutes, or if you're not seeing them for five minutes, you're seeing them not do much for ten Yep. It, just, it feels like a house show gimmick. Yep. So the main event, we've got a lot to set up for the main event. Basically, CM Punk gets laid out. He is the WWE champion, but he's not going to be in the match because he can't compete. So he's technically officially lost his belt. This was the uh, birth of the bad evolution that is legacy, wasn't it? Yes. Chris Jericho and Shawn Michaels have an absolutely awesome unsanctioned match. Although it was great for me, it went on for a bit too long. But you really enjoyed it, right? I really enjoyed it. I do agree with you that it went on too long, but I I could see why, because it was setting up um, the No Mercy ladder match, which you actually must check out. But uh, yeah, so those two have an absolute belter. And then the surprise entrant in our main event is that Chris Jericho is coming back, even though he's he's literally bleeding from, what was he, from his ear or his nose? Um, uh, from his ear, I think. 
He's holding his arm, which was uh, injured by Shawn Michaels. He looks like and, he's been run over several times. Yeah, I mean, he's selling that he's on his deathbed almost. And he's the surprise entrance to this main event. Um, and this third scramble match is actually my favorite. Just because going into it, Batista and Ray Ray are like best friends. And the commentators are saying that these two are going to work together. But actually, who's going to take a pin? And then that played out. I think it was Batista. Oh, no. Um, Ray was on Batista's shoulders and did a big splash onto somebody. doesn't matter. Ray got injured. His ribs taking the fall. So Batista went to go do the pin. But it was a two count. Ray looked around kind of like, what the fuck? That was my pin to take. And then those two start going at it. And I think, I don't know for sure, because obviously I, don't, I haven't watched any... Um, smackdowns afterwards but i think batista hill turned in this match uh, i wasn't sure whether it was this match but i do know somewhere around this time uh, batista started to destroy mysterio so i think this i think it was actually long running and this started to paint the seeds in the same way that they're currently trying to do the bailey sasha thing because i do know for sure, sure okay i do know for sure that batista and ray had a big feud in 2009 yeah i remember that feud um so this is actually pretty clever booking because this is quite far in advance. Like we were saying for the last match, I think the gimmicky concept was really helped with the fact that there was a strong story running throughout. And obviously the Triple H and Jeff Hardy thing in the last one was good. But in this one, I felt not only we had uh, Batista and Ray pretty much carry the match for 10, 15 minutes, but then when we had the surprise entrance of Chris Jericho, that also brought a new story in for the last five minutes. It kept me excited and compelled to see what's going through throughout the entire 20 minutes, whereas Triple H and Jeff Hardy's story, I was only really interested in the last four minutes. So I, I'm actually the opposite with you. I really enjoyed the SmackDown match, and I thought given the star power of this scramble, the, the scramble had some really slow moments, and the whole th the whole thing sort of felt really like laggy. And looking at it now, I didn't really clock the Ray batista story stuff going on and i didn't really see some of the smaller moments that you, you did i thought that this basically until jericho turned up just wasn't a good match but thinking about it now it it, it might have been but at this point in the pay-per-view and i watched it in one sitting the overkill is ridiculous i just wanted i think i wanted this all the scrambles to be over and i don't think i ever needed to see another one and by the time the raw match happened i completely clocked out because i'd seen a bad one in the ecw i'd seen a decent one in the smackdown and between the two of them i then watched 40 minutes of scramble matches <laughs> yeah no you're, it's true we the amount of time spent in inside one gimmick on one show a gimmick that you've never seen before yeah Either the Royal or the SmackDown one was the only one on this show. We would have enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah. But sitting through three of them just became difficult. I liked the stories in both of them. And individually, they were both good matches. I would even say, like, almost great matches. But obviously, the gimmick hindered them. But I think the storytelling in both of them was really good. But the ECW one, like you said, just got us off to a bad start. And it was like, ah, oh, here we go. This shit. I think the SmackDown and Raw ones did really well to work around the issues that we've discussed that they had what would you if you were bringing this back first of all would you bring it back and second of all what would you do with it i bring it back with uh, some subtle differences one i think the time limit end to the match is the biggest problem because it just gives no drama to the end of the match 
may, maybe in the Triple H one because he got the pin in the last two seconds. But I would say finding a way that either a certain amount of pinfalls, maybe a pinfall can't be legitimate until all the competitors are in the ring, and then one put one pin to the finish. That's a nice idea. And then I would probably lower the time intervals between all the entrances to something similar to a rumble of a minute, a half or two minutes rather than five minutes. And then basically we've got war games without a cage. With the, um, uh, you, you raise another interesting point because I thought I, it felt a bit short and then I double checked it on Wikipedia and the, the raw main event actually went 17 minutes in total. So, how did um, that happen? Well, <laughs> what I'm saying is, like, obviously, someone in the back was like, "Right, we've had enough now." So they started shortening the five-minute segments to get right. it down to two, three minutes, and maybe subconsciously, that's why you actually enjoyed it more because people were coming in quicker, and it it got over nearly in three quarters of the time that the other two were. This shit's boring. Send them out. Yeah, I, well, I feel like. They might have just been just as sick of this gimmick match as everybody else was at this point. Yeah, probably. I th- it's too many. I mean, even three money in the banks on one show would put me off by the third one. I'd be bored. Oh. Uh, I t- Elimination Chambers on a show is too much. Uh, and Elimination Chamber is a fantastic match, but you only need one. Yeah, they're probably learning that lesson as well. Yeah. I mean, we have two Royal Rumble matches now, one for the women, one for the men. And although... Yeah, I love seeing women in a Royal Rumble match. Seeing two-on-one shows is difficult. If eventually they have Royal Rumble on a two nights like WrestleMania, then it, that would be fantastic to have one Rumble on each night. I can see why a women's Royal Rumble is a necess- necessity at this point in our generation. That being said, I don't think that they should be on the same show. I think people should pick and choose whether they want to watch the men's or the women's and we shouldn't have to sit and watch two hours of Rumble. And it's got nothing to do with gender equality for me. It's literally just because I don't want to sit and watch two hours of Rumble. So in yeah, that- no, I'm, I'm the same. It's nothing to do with gender equality because maybe not this year, but I think the year before, I liked the women's Rumble more than the men's. Yeah, so did I. So it, it's just the fact... In that, in that sense, I do agree that there should be two nights because I don't want to sit through a seven-hour pay-per-view where I'm watching two Royal Rumble matches. And I think the same could be said for anything. If you just had a regular backlash and there was two table matches on the show or there was two I Quit matches on the show, it would be too much. And the excitement for the second one would be lost because we've already seen that shit. Cornette made a very good point in a shoot interview a long time ago about Shawn Michaels' switch in music somebody he saw behind the backstage somebody asked Shawn Michaels permission to do a super kick that night Shawn Michaels like nah you need to go away you know it's not happening um now you see super kicks every show all shows and I don't know what travesty I was watching probably something young bucks related but they actually had a super kicker meter on something I watched <laughs> I can't remember if it was um full impact pro or something like that but I mean Saturation, oversaturation yeah. is exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I think if I was to rebook this gimmick, first of all, I would make it number one contenders. I think the championship thing is a massive issue that uh, really stalls the idea of what the match represents, makes the champion look bad if they win or lose. It just doesn't need to be there. Cheapens a pin. I would then separate them. So I would have one in the first six months a year, 
and one in the second six months of the year. So it's less a gimmicked pay-per-view and more like an addition to a show that you know is happening at a certain point. Considering you get Elimination Chambers before WrestleMania, you could have one of these before SummerSlam, one of these before Survivor Series. The third thing I'll do with it, lower it down, because as we both said, people are going to come out of this looking bad. It's an impossibility for not one person to come out of this looking bad. So I would take it from the main event and put it in the mid card. The one match every half year would be either for number one contendership for the US Championship or the Intercontinental Championship. And through that, by giving this a gimmick, by putting it uh, one month before every major show of the SummerSlam or Survivor Series, you're giving this gimmick a chance to actually be decent. You're giving guys in the mid card more time than they usually get. And you're building up the championships because there's actually a number one contender position to get to the championship match. Or if you really wanted to give this match some prestige, it could be all mid cards, like you said, in the middle of a pay-per-view. But the opportunity could be for a top belt. And it could be a way to transition someone from the mid card to something more important. Yeah, I mean, the few great jobs TNA did in its later years was, I think, the the ultimate X match. Yeah, uh, where they had they got a shot for the world championship, at, which was then built up to basically bound for glory. Yep. But do, do you? I mean, looking back in history, they had their first double elimination pay per view. That year, in 2008, Elimination Chamber 2008 was, I think it was no way out back then, but it was their first show where they did two gimmick matches at the same time on the same show. It was the beginning of the end for gimmick matches, really. Do you, do you, can you understand why they really put this on, considering they'd literally done the same thing with a cooler gimmick? I really think this was them trying to do TLC or Money in the Bank before they started doing that. They invented a gimmick that was gonna live on its own show forever. But then the match had such shit feedback, they just never did it again. And I mean, looking back, I said it at the top of the show, I swore blind they did this more than on one show. I thought there was like five of these matches, and there isn't. It just happened on on one night. That goes down to the... um mental subconsciousness of oversaturation i think that says it all really i don't think you have you ever even watched this pay-per-view and yet you thought that there was like eight nine ten of them that really does say it all i must have watched this live or around the time it first came out and i must have watched it again some other point in my life to confuse myself into thinking there were six of them but also maybe it was just because it featured on several years' worth of video games. So I played the match more on video games than I had ever watched it. I didn't know this was a video game match. Yeah, it was on definitely at least one game, but maybe two. What do you think of this pay-per-view overall? Um, there was two highlights. That was it. The rest was a drag. What, the Chris Jericho, Shawn Michaels? That was, that was a lot of fun. There was a lot of heat. There was a ton of story, and those two, obviously, I mean, obviously, those two can do something great. It went on five minutes too long, maybe for me, but I can understand why they did that. And then, and then I kind of, I, then I enjoyed the last three minutes of both uh, the Raw and SmackDown scramble matches. I just didn't enjoy the first fifteen minutes of them. 
And then we had some nonsense with Undertaker, Big Show, and Vicky Guerrero, which was a real difficult watch because it that went on for a long time. I have to let you know that I would rather watch that ECW Championship scramble in a heartbeat than ever watch that absolute text WWE texting trash ever again. I don't even know what was going on here. Like Vicky Guerrero was feuding with Undertaker. I mean, is this the time that Vicky Guerrero was all up in Edge's grill? No, this is a year before she managing Edge because Edge feuds with Undertaker in 08. It was just a terrible angle. Undertaker turned up on a on a video package and threatened to grab Vicky's throat and basically crush her esophagus and then introduce her to the sulfuric stench of the flames of hell. And you, up until Big Show turns for no apparent reason, you've basically got two seven-foot-plus women picking on a five-foot woman, um, telling her that you're going to crush her throat, and violently like staring at her, which gave me all sorts of uncomfortable vibes. And then you're supposed to believe that out of this, the five-foot woman is the bad guy and Undertaker's a good guy? I, yeah, what is that about? This is the most predatoriest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, well, right at the end, Vicky Guerrero actually spits in Undertaker's face. And <laughs> uh, JR says that's totally disrespectful. <laughs> Even though he just threatened to throw her into a casket. What about crushing her windpipe? <laughs> And then Big Show turns on The Undertaker, and I don't know if that's a heel or a face turn, I can't keep up with this shit, but I'm just thinking, is there ever going to be, are we ever going to be able to look back at a random point in history and not watch a Big Show turn? Uh, I'm expecting one soon. I I think he's going to join the decrepit team of Randy Orton and Ric Flair soon. Probably. Every time I go on the WWE Network and I watch something from a decade ago, on that show, Big Show yeah. turns. Every time he fucking turns one way or the other. He, makes, he actually makes jokes about himself now. And so he should, because I don't think anyone's turned more times than he has. The question I want to know is, if the, is there ever going to be a time where I turn on a pay-per-view from the network and aren't embarrassed for watching wrestling at some point? <laughs> Well, not if you watch a good mania. You know what? I, what, what you're going to be embarrassed at some point based upon their past history of women or the boogeyman eating Jillian Hall's wart off her face. Like, there's always. You can't sit through one show without something. You're cringing at something. It's impossible. Yeah, I, I guess it's it, that boils down to them trying to cater for too many different types of audiences. I learned from the show that the. Divas Championship was created in 2008. I thought that turned up in like 2001, 2002. Oh, no, it was, yeah, no, it was way later than that. I knew that. So they chose to call their women's division Divas in 2008. Yeah, man, because they're like a decade behind. They always have been. Yeah. Anyway, so we both came up with about six points that this match was wrong. Was there anything redeeming from this match, you think? For me personally or for the match objectively? Either. For me personally, I got a wild nostalgia trip this week in a different way from watching guys like Chavo Guerrero, uh, MVP back in his prime, Triple H when he was ripped, uh, Chris Jericho when he started wearing that suit, Shawn Michaels when he was still in his prime, Jeff Hardy when he wasn't a bumbling idiot. I really enjoyed watching the old guys 
from being like 14 years old and i really enjoyed seeing that era of wrestling again for a little while even if i i'm glad that i don't have to permanently live in that era of wrestling but i am honored that i could see the great carly once again and actually feel like i really enjoy seeing you on my screen great carly you know and remembering how much i love chavo guerrero for absolutely no reason and i used to play as him all the time on wwe 2006 for again no reason so i enjoyed the nostalgia of watching this pay-per-view Okay, but then the actual match, what we said. <laughs> I was avoiding that question, Ben. <laughs> I could tell. I thought that the SmackDown and Raw matches were really exciting in the last five minutes. And if you could get that feeling of the last five minutes, but make the whole match make sense and be exciting with the last five minutes, I think you've got a great gimmick on your hands. I really feel like this gimmick had legs and... I already said it, but if they didn't do so many of them on one show, oversaturation, like you said, then it would have survived. And maybe molded a little bit. Maybe the, the, the rules would have changed a little bit over the years and we would have had a new Money in the Bank, a new Royal Rumble. It was absolutely amazing how this actually sank without a trace because that Chris Jericho moment is historic. It's a really, really great moment in a series of opportunist moments. It's the one that I think of just after Edge at New Year's Resolution in the Elimination Chamber. I think that if it had that potential to create that moment and it had the potential to really powerfully build up a feud between Hardy and Triple H, then as you said, it had legs. It's just about tweaking it. I'm actually surprised, I guess because they had too many gimmick matches by the next year, but I'm surprised they didn't take it, look at it and fix it and bring it back. Because they do that a lot with everything. How long is it until we see one of these matches on NXT? Because NXT loves to bring the old gimmicks and shows back. I can see Johnny Gargano running around in a scramble. You reckon they'll ever try it? I don't think so. Because I, I think that NXT take old gimmicks that either the stink has worn off or they were good in like 1989. I don't. This think... doesn't really have the cult status that War Games has, does it? No, no. I mean, War Games was a massive deal for, for yeah. years. Yeah, of course it was. This is like a, a weird footnote in history. Do you think there's a whole generation of wrestling fans that have no idea that this match exists? Oh, 100%. I mean, this is, this is a one pay-per-view match. If you've never seen this pay-per-view and you didn't just happen to watch the Raws and Smackdowns around it, then you'd have absolutely no idea that uh, this match had existed. Even when I was a kid, I was reading everything and it was basically became an encyclopedic book of wrestling. I think this is so obscure that I wouldn't have been able to locate it 10 years from now. It featured on WWE 13, the video game. That's the one with CM Punk on the front cover. Yeah. Well, you can blame the video game for having the ECW Championship scramble because the only reason ECW was trying to be pushed as a brand at that point was it was the special feature in the 2008 video game. Introduced SmackDown versus Raw featuring ECW, yeah, I remember. That's the only reason that that championship was being pushed past Jobber Championship. Yeah, I think this match featured on more video games than it... Obviously, it was only over on one pay-per-view. It says here it was also on SmackDown vs. Raw 2010, which is what a year, two years release after the pay per view. I think you will find a semblance of this match in future. Uh, Wrestling is very, very good at recycling ideas, and 
they did it recently with the Matt Riddle fight pit because that was a Ken Shamrock match in like a basement. I don't know whether you remember it. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it was the pretty much the exact same thing. So I think maybe not yet, but five years from now, you'll have like a time sprint gimmick. And they do use, sometimes use the time sprints. Uh, I can't remember what it's for. Maybe Money in the Bank, but they do five minutes and then they, they bring down the clock to the right to the last minute. So you will definitely see at some point in the future, I think, a time limit based gimmick. Whether it's going to be an actual scramble, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I, I don't think the match got cult enough status for them to call it a scramble match. I think maybe if more people remembered it, I could definitely see NXT using the nostalgia to try and revamp Is there it. any nostalgia for the scramble match? Oh yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's no nostalgia there. No, It's long forgotten and it was never liked to begin with, it seems. I'm just saying if, if there was some nostalgia, NXT would be right well, on that. I, Definitely right I now. I think we've chatted more about the championship scramble matches than Vince McMahon ever did when he put them together. <laughs> Someone just threw it on a napkin three weeks before the pay-per-view. Like, here's a good idea. Fuck Five it. guys, time limit. <laughs> the crowd seems to love gimmicks right now. Fuck it. Let's just have this over-contrived mini rumble. Well, it feels like that. that's a lot of gimmicks, though. It, it feels like WWE's like a fantasy board game. like the, And all of them are just different types of board games, all of the different match types. Yeah. There was too much going on in this match. There was six different rules. I mean, even them explain it. They had to explain it every time. And the tell the tape thing was almost a word document essay. As far as I'm concerned, if you've got a gimmick that's not the Royal Rumble and you're having to put up uh, an entire stack of rules on my television screen and explain it every match, then that's a bad gimmick. Even the Royal Rumble is easy to explain. The sturdy yeah, guys it, one by one and they get thrown over the top rope. It gives me bad vibes of King of the Mountain. I, oh, here we go. <laughs> I like, <laughs> I like the I like the King of the Mountain match. I, I know it's a load of tripe. It was awful, convoluted bullshit, Ben. It was, but it was fun. Well, that's, a, that's I another think thing. They, if you gave if you gave this gimmick to TNA in two thousand and eight, it'd be their main event, Bound for Glory, bro. And the, you know what? They would just persevered and worked worked their way through the pain. Yeah, but that's what they always do. That's why they're still alive. It doesn't mean they're good. There, there is two. At least two King of the Mountain matches I can remember and probably tell you who the participants were were in their matches, and I thoroughly enjoyed them, and I would enjoy them if I go watch them now. Well, it, I mean, if I when I was fourteen and watching the Championship Scramble, I didn't realize I'd be talking about it twelve years later, but I did enjoy it. I mean, the one thing about the King of the Mountain was putting the belt at the top. That was stupid because what the fuck? I did like the whole like hockey. You cannot, you cannot defend a match in which you win by putting the belt up. No, I know that's stupid. I mean, the, why isn't it just a ladder match with a penalty cage? Because that's just fun. No, I know, I know, it's TNA bullshit. <laughs> yeah, but I miss TNA bullshit. It was better than the sex scandals and weird diatribes of Impact Wrestling now, stuck in like being filmed in a snowy base in Canada somewhere in. The wastelands. I can just remember um, Mick Foley, AJ, and uh, I think PD Williams all being locked inside this uh, telephone booth-sized cage. I think that was 2009. And all, fuck's sake, you're an encyclopedia. And they're all <laughs> in this cage and they can barely move, but they're also trying to like hit each other in the head. 
And then Jeff Jarrett's being all cocky out in the ring with barely anyone. That's so stupid. It's stupid, though. but it's just it's fun. It's 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 good stupid rather than nah, maybe it's not. Maybe I'm just a fanboy. I think TNA is the best and worst of Carney ever. Just the just the fact that all of these years later, Jeff Je- Jeff Jarrett is basically suing the company he created over a wrestling company that doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> and it never really ever existed. <laughs> I, I think that's amazing yeah true that although oh. watching this era of wrestling i do enjoy the pay-per-views being two and a half to three hours long oh yeah no it's a much more pleasant watch even if it still falls like it's long because of the gimmick <laughs> <laughs> yeah but at least it's not an eight hour wrestlemania apparently the month before triple h was coming off a match with the great carly actually at SummerSlam. that was a SummerSlam match after having a arm wrestle competition. Carly had an arm wrestle competition. With Triple H. Triple and H. built up their match for SummerSlam. What fantastic storytelling. I think we should, I think we should uh, start looking into this 2008. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck was going on? I think I was away during this period. I, I remember watching the beginning of the ECW brand. But I missed... Jeff Hardy as a main eventer. I think I was. I think I was hardcore into TNA at this point. I only truly remember 2007 WWE. That was, I think, the key year for me uh, when I was buying every show and I was watching every show. And I don't really know why, but that that was that was the year for me. I remember pretty much everything from every pay per view. And then 2008, I was starting to slowly lose interest. And then by 2009, I was gone. Yeah, I don't think I could tell you anything confidently what happened in 09 not in wwe all i remember is jeff hardy and cm punk having a feud that's literally all i can oh and taker michaels and a really really long boring triple h randy orton wrestlemania match oh yeah i mean i was watching menus but i think punk is what brought me back to the wwe from tna in like 10 or 11 see i picked up tna when you dropped it off and we swapped again yeah i gave up I think in 2011 when the Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan shit was just getting too much. That's when I got interested because I wanted to see how shit it could actually get. And then Orange uh, Orlando Jordan came out and spilled milk all over himself. Yeah, that was 10. I was still watching. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, you could say that the downfall was still happening. I mean, that would be a good segment at some point. TNA 2010. Well, just to watch the whole year's worth of wrestling. <laughs> One podcast. We could do some months free pass of Impact Plus, and we could watch the key moments. Immortal versus versus Fortune. What a what oh a my feud. god! You know they released a two disc set of Immortal. Like it actually got its own. I'm sure W um, TNA have released a two disc set on every ounce of tape that they've got. Yeah, I think TNA would be an interesting one. There's a lot of TNA stuff we can do. I really want us to go back and rewatch the very first show. We should do that. All right, we'll do that for next week. We'll watch the very first show. Okay. But more importantly, we'll be doing full rundowns of the first nights of NXT Great American Bash and AW. The new Wednesday Bash. Night Wars. Something like that. All 600,000 viewers of them. Mate, I mean, a lot of wrestling fans are, are really keen about this war. I mean, I don't give it any attention, but... Um, I see online people are comparing the viewing figures every week. I think they want the war. 
I think that's what it is. They're desperately trying to revisit the heyday that wasn't around when they they were fifteen. I mean, sure. They're they're desperately trying to recreate something that's already happened and will never be recreated. The thing is, it's impossible because if you're a big fan, you're going to watch both shows. Whereas in the early 90s, unless you were rich enough to have, uh, what's it called, TVR in America, you could only watch one show. Yeah, and and it also appeals to the popularity of wrestling in general, I think, because you don't have the casuals watching the flicking between the two channels watching the wrestling to see which one's better because as you yeah, exactly. as you said um a- any actual wrestling fan will be watching both and they'll be keeping one on tape or whatever and what then watching it at a later date whereas back then i feel like a lot of the the millions of viewers a lot of them were people that didn't give a toss what they were missing on the other channel exactly very true i the real interesting poll uh uh, it'd be impossible to do. I don't know how we would do it. It'd be really interesting to see what hardcore fans watch first. Because I know every week I watch AEW first and then I watch NXT. I watch NXT first and then I watch AEW, but not because uh, I prefer NXT. It's I, I actually keep AEW until the end of the week because I enjoy watching it on my days off. Oh, so you've just ruined my poll already. It's not a proper <laughs> study then, is it? I I'm, I guess you can put me in the pile of watching AEW first. If you're talking excitement and wanting to see the show, I would watch AEW first. That'd be interesting to know because I think that says more than just individual viewing figures. I, think I don't probably- understand why this is even a fight because if you like AEW, you like NXT. I like both of them. They're the only shows that keep me doing this podcast and watching wrestling weekly. If it was just Raw and SmackDown, I wouldn't bother. Exactly. I feel like there would be more of a fight if it was AEW versus if it was Dynamite versus SmackDown. Yeah. There's be a, a different clash in styles, whereas NXT caters for the exact same audience that are watching Dynamite. Yeah, well, it's it, exactly. There's no such thing as Wednesday Night War. You can call somebody an AEW mark or, on Twitter or say that they're an old person for liking NXT, but they're the same fan. What would be a real test is if one of these two programs went up against something that everybody hates and you know what i i truly believe the time when aw goes up against wwe is sooner than what we believed a year ago i not next year but i reckon it's coming sooner than we thought i have to admit aw are making massive gains uh i remember talking to this about you with you a year a year or so ago and i was like i don't know how long they're going to last with what they're doing or how much money that's behind them it's now quite clear that they've got a lot of money behind them they listen to the fans continually and they're slowly growth there's slow growth going on they're get, they're getting a video game their action figures are going to be in stores for christmas and it, the the action figures you may laugh but that's a massive thing oh of course it is that's opening up to a whole new generation of potential viewers. Because a lot of people only know WWE exists because of action figures in Tesco's and video games. And now they're, they're going for both. So they're eventually they're going to be... And not only is it just getting your video games and your, your toys out there, but it's also quality of product. We, uh, I'm not a video game guy, and I don't think you are particularly, but everybody's heard the woes of what WWE's video game products have become. Whereas AEW are made, AEW's for nerds and made by nerds. So they're putting their best effort into making a great video I'm game. Not, so they're, they're blowing WWE out of the water. I'm not a huge video game guy, but 
ever since I was a kid, I've always played wrestling video games. So I get somewhat of a nostalgia kick and I buy them every year. So WWE is guaranteed to get 30, well, 40 quid, whatever off me every year. It has been that since I was like eight years old. And mainly because of nostalgia, because like you said, the games are pretty crap. Nothing changes from year to year. And uh, Kenny Omega has come out saying not only are they getting a game, but he wants, because he's a gamer himself, a hardcore gamer, like tournaments and shit. He wants it to be a great game, not only on par, but better than anything that 2K are producing. And they, I don't think they've got it, but they try to buy the rights to the No Mercy video game considered the best wrestling video game ever made oh i heard that they're trying to work with the same team it's the or same something. team but they can't get the rights to the engine of the game the video game cannot be understated how important this is uh the w- wk20 wk2k20 game was so broken uh, i've read horror stories about it and how the team had six months to work with no funds or whatever uh that they it came out in November, and they were selling it for fifteen quid in game at Christmas. Yeah. Uh, now they've tried. They they realize they they can't possibly get a game out, so they've gone for like a cartoony animated Wii level video game. That uh, my girlfriend walked into the room, saw the advert off, and said, "What what the fuck is that?" You know, because it, it just it looks like a, a PS2 video it's game. On, it's that, on I mean, Rush Hour vibes, like. Yeah, 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 and the. It's quite obviously been thrown together in a couple yeah, of months. Yeah, it's just desperation to get a game out there just to continue revenue stream. And meanwhile, AEW are actually building a good game, which is a lot better, a lot uh, a lot more important than just getting a game out. So when that comes out, I think that WWE is going to underestimate that the gaming industry is a force to be reckoned with because people, video game fans, will pick up a video game if they're told worldwide it's good. If AEW knocked this out of the park, suddenly there's thousands and thousands of people who don't watch AEW or even watch wrestling who are buying this video game. I don't know about you, but my very first memory of wrestling was my nan buying me WWE SmackDown on PlayStation. That's how I hit the nail on the head. How many millions, and I reckon it's in the millions of video gamers are out there that buy the 2K series and they don't ever watch a single episode of Raw SmackDown. Yeah. Just play the games because wrestling video games have a very different feel to watching wrestling. So it appeals to a, a wider, re- like hardcore wrestling fans like you and me that will pick up the game because we like the people that are on it, but also gamers who like the arcade style of fighting. I think this is a hell of an opportunity. And if they don't mess it up, this could revolutionize what AEW are and they could finally be a really actually serious threat to WWE in the coming years. I think um, it's very understated how much of a threat they are. You, you know, Tony Khan and his family are worth about five times what Vince is. Yeah, and I'm rooting for them. I want them to become the number one in the industry for a little while. But for Christ's sake, stop dressing up as Street Fighter. <laughs> That's fantastic, yeah. All right, let's 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 leave it there. Cool. All right, see you, man. See you next time. Talk to you soon. Like, share, and subscribe to keep it botched up, brother.